Well, uh, this message is going to be a bit different than the other ones that we've done in the biography. And uh, the reason for that is what we're going to be looking at, the trial of Christ. We're going to do a lot of reading. I want to take us through the story and the scriptures and, and read them, read it as it unfolds. But it's going to be a bit different than normal because there's not a lot of teaching that I have for this. Um, I have some, but, but a lot of it is going to be us trying to see with fresh eyes, brethren. As I've gone through this biography, that has been my burden, that you would see the life of Jesus with fresh eyes. I mean, we read the Gospels, and how often do we read them, and we, we're, not, we're not struck in awe by our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not struck in awe by His miracles. We're not struck in, in fear of His preaching and the power of it. We're not struck in horror by His sufferings. And I want us, as we come near the end of this biography, uh, as we look at this scene of His trial, brethren, I want us to see it with fresh eyes. And so we left off last week, right? We left off at the betrayal of Judas, a deceptive greeting. He came and he said, greetings, Rabbi, but he wasn't there to greet him with love. And he gave him a, a deceptive, treacherous kiss. And I mentioned how that scene is sort of the culmination of rejection, which was a theme in Jesus's life up to that point. He was a man, as Isaiah said, despised and rejected by men. And then we see that culminating its full effect in Judas, betraying the Lord into the hands of sinners. And we saw that at that moment, all the disciples had fled and they left. And our Lord was left alone. Well, we, what, what, I, what I had mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago and what we saw in Isaiah was shown to be true. He was indeed a man who was rejected by men. And... Uh, you know, when we looked at that last week, and I, and I thought about it just in preparing, or a couple of weeks ago, I guess, in preparing that message, it, it is. It, for me, I think about it, I think about the Lord Jesus Christ, what He did, His ministry, what He said, who He was. Brethren, it is unimaginable to us that the Lord whom we love, our beloved, was despised and rejected by men. How can it be that this Jesus was rejected? How can it be that the Son of God was one, as Isaiah says, from whom men hid their faces? How is that even possible when we think of who the Lord Jesus Christ is? And yet, His sufferings did not end there. There was more. There was more to that prophecy. More that was going to be revealed of this suffering King. And we read about it in that Old Testament reading. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Brethren, this is, you talk about oppression, this is real oppression, real affliction. And we will see him facing such mockery, brethren, and his mouth remains closed. Through it all, his pure, perfect, undefiled lips will find no fault and no sin. Nick read it. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. As for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living 
stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked. Brethren, they made his grave with the wicked. And with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. We're going to see these things take place in the pages of the Gospels, taken away by oppression and judgment. Brethren, we're going to see him in an act so evil and so preposterous. Brethren, a man, the only innocent man to ever live, put to death with criminals, sentenced to death with criminals, no violence, Isaiah says, no violence, no deceit found in him. And yet, to this one, the greatest violence ever committed, enwrapped completely in all manner of deceit, done to him. Brethren, I'm going to tell you right now, this scene of the trial of Jesus Christ, it ought to, it ought to invoke in you all types of different emotion. I mean, you ought to be angry when you read it. Righteously angry. It ought to horrify you that this kind of thing can be done to the Lord of glory. Rather not to make you weep that the heart of men can be so hard and so sinful that they would do this to the Savior of the world. How could they treat Him in this way? And I want you to hear these words of Philip Schaff before we look at these events. This is a summary that Philip Schaff gives. He says, Never, never did any man suffer more innocently, more unjustly, more intensely than Jesus of Nazareth. The history of his passion presents within the, within the narrow limits of a few hours a tragedy of universal significance with every form of human weakness and infernal wickedness, of ingratitude, desertion, injury and insult, of bodily and mental pain and anguish, culminating in the most publicly disgraceful death then known among Jews and Gentiles, the death of a malefactor and a slave. The government and the people combined against him who came to save them. His own disciples forsook him. Peter denied him. The furious mob cried, crucify him. He was seized in the night, hurried from tribunal to tribunal, arrayed in a crown of thorns, insulted, smitten, scourged, spit upon compelled to carry his own cross, nailed to the accursed tree, and hung like a criminal and a slave between two robbers and murderers. Brethren, these are true events. This is what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the one who is our beloved. Brother, may God help us to see <clears throat> First thing I want to do is give you a bit of a layout here of the events that do take place. Because 
If you read through the Gospels, uh, I mean, most people don't read through them, you know, a little bit of Matthew, a little bit of Mark, or a little bit of Matthew, a little bit of Luke. But if you read through them that way, you will notice that they don't follow the exact same events and timeline all the time. And when it comes to the trial, this is especially the case. If you read them side by side with one another, you're going to see that sometimes different elements enter in. Sometimes the writers are adding different pieces here and there. And it can seem like, if we don't understand how the events unfold, that there's different stories being had here. If we don't really grasp what's taking place in these hours. And I want to just give you a brief example here. We're going to we're going to deal with this, so I'm not just going to leave you hanging with this question, but I just want to give you an example, okay? So John 18, take a look at this with me real quick. John 18, verse 13, and then we're also going to read Matthew 26, verse 57, okay? So first one, John 18. John 18, 13. Okay, this is, this is after Jesus is bound up by these officers in the garden, okay? It says, First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Okay, so you take notice of that, right? What does it say they did right after they bound Jesus? To where? To Annas. Okay, now Matthew 26. Matthew 26, 57. Then those who had seized Jesus led them to Caiaphas, or led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. Okay, so you notice this here, right? In John, he says first he's led to Annas, and in Matthew, it mentions that they led him off to Caiaphas. Now, if you notice later, go back to John. We read there, John 18, 13, right? They first led him to Annas, so you see that. Now, if you go down a little bit, and you look at verse 24, you'll see what it says. Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So the, all I want you to see right here is just this idea that there's an order that is happening to Jesus in these events of these trials, but it doesn't always come out as clear in each gospel. Clearly, there is an event that takes place at the start when Jesus goes to Annas, before he goes to Caiaphas, and John makes mention of those, but Matthew obviously doesn't even make mention of the, the event there before Annas. He kind of starts the story of the trial right with Jesus going to Caiaphas. So I, I, there's not a problem there, right? This is, these are gospel writers who are simply telling the story uh, in the way that they feel it has the most impact to tell the story. But there are differences. There are uh, there are things in which some gospel writers uh, piece together and some don't. And I want us to see kind of the whole picture. And to see the whole picture, we're going to have to kind of take in everything that each of them are saying. So I want to somewhat break this down for you here. Now, I don't know if you're able to write this down. Maybe I can send this piece to you guys later if you can't write it down. But I want you to see how each gospel kind of presents some different elements here and for us to see the whole picture. So there are there's seven pieces to the trial. And we're going to go through all of these. There's seven. The first is Jesus before Annas. Then Jesus before Caiaphas and the Jewish council that night. Then Jesus before the Jewish council the following morning. 
Then Jesus initially going before Pilate, and then Jesus before Herod, and then Jesus back to Pilate again a second time. That's where the sentencing takes place. And then within that whole mix is the denial of Peter. And that probably takes place in between 1 and 2, before the, the, the time that Jesus is before Annas and the time that he's before Caiaphas. And not every gospel writer covers all of this. In fact, not one of them covers every one of these events. Each one covers different pieces of the story. And if we piece them all together, we kind of see what unfolds entirely. So Matthew, what he covers is two. He covers Jesus before Caiaphas and the Jewish council that night when they, when they take him away. And then he also covers a mix of four and six, both events before Pilate. He doesn't talk about Jesus before Herod, and so he kind of mingles together Jesus before Pilate, uh, before Herod, and before Pilate after Herod. But, but it's hard to tell that there's a distinction in the two because you don't have the situation with Herod. And then he has a very brief mention to the situation in the morning when Jesus goes before the council again in the morning. Mark does the same thing as Matthew does. Luke, he briefly mentions Jesus before Caiaphas and the Jewish council that night. But then he covers Jesus before the council in the morning. He covers Jesus initially before Pilate. And he covers Jesus before Herod. Then he also covers a little bit of Jesus coming back to Pilate afterward. John is the one that gives us the insight to the time with Annas before he even goes to Caiaphas. And then he also kind of mingles together Jesus before Pilate, before Herod, and then before Pilate after Herod. So there's this mix of all these different elements going on in the Gospels. And like I said, I, I want to deal with the whole story. So we're going to kind of look at all these different Gospels and piece this thing together. And then all of them deal with the denial of Peter, although they all deal with it in somewhat of a different fashion. And I'm not really going to get into all that, all that at this time. But you can see, right, these men are not intent on telling exactly the same story in exactly the same way. Uh, they're, they're looking at the elements and they're telling the story as they remember it. They're telling the story in a way that, that it has its own feel, its own weightiness. You read each of the Gospels and they have this own sense to them of what's taking place. Some adding different elements and, and some leaving those elements out. Anyway, my point is simply to say, brethren, as, as you read these, it's good to read each of these Gospels together so that you can actually see everything that is taking place with the Lord Jesus at this time. So let's begin here with what takes place immediately after Jesus is arrested. John 18, you may already be there, but John 18, <clears throat> he's taken to Annas, one of the high priests, father-in-law of Caiaphas. Let's read this together. John 18 Starting in verse 12, I'm going to read down to verse 24. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. 
First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are, not one, of the, are one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come to gather. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me. Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So first, we see our Lord here taken to Annas. Now, you notice it says there that he's the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. But as you read a little bit further on, you see there in verse 19, John speaks of Annas also as a high priest. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples. And if you, if you read in other places of the New Testament, Acts, uh, Acts 4, 6, for example, it speaks of Annas as the high priest. And yet, he also says that Caiaphas is the high priest. He says down there in verse 24, Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. What in the world is going on here? This is, a, this is an indication, brethren, of just how fouled up and, and, and messed up Judaism had become at this point. Brethren, let me ask you. you. You go into the Old Testament and you find there's priesthood, right? And you find there that you have this office of high priest. How many high priests were there supposed to be in Israel? There was supposed to be one high priest in Israel, right? And here you have a situation where two people are functioning as high priests in Israel. Annas and Caiaphas are both functioning as high priests. You get this, this text in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 2. It says, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John. Brethren, things had become incredibly dysfunctional in Israel. And, and when it came down to the trial of the Lord Jesus Christ, brethren, this is the only beginning of the dysfunction that was going to take place. But you had these two high priests that were functioning at this time. And then we also see in this account 
the, the first denial of Peter. And, and if you notice, brethren, you don't see all three take place right here. And there's a reason for that. You don't, sometimes we think of the denial of Peter and we think that oh, in a matter of two or three minutes, Jesus, or Peter denies Jesus three times. That's not how that took place, brethren. You see, there's one here before Annas, and we'll notice later on that the other denials come later. When Jesus is over with Caiaphas, they're in an entirely different place at this point. But when, when Peter is denying the Lord Jesus, this is no rash heat of the moment. He just accidentally says that he doesn't know Jesus three times. Peter ends up denying the Lord three times, probably over the span of a few hours. This is something that's somewhat drawn out, brethren. Each time Peter is able to think about what took place, each time he's, he's given a chance to reclaim his allegiance to Jesus Christ. Brethren, the sad thing is, in these moments, we don't see him do that. But nevertheless, the first denial takes place there when they're with Annas. And it's before Annas here that the questioning of the Lord Jesus begins. You see this? He questions Jesus about his disciples, about his teaching. You see that verse 19? The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Now, listen, all throughout the trial of Jesus Christ, the religious leaders are trying to trap him. They're trying to catch him in a bind. They're, they're trying to lay upon Jesus a charge, a charge of sedition, a charge of blasphemy, a charge of idolatry. They're trying to get something where they can say, this man is leading people astray. They want to declare Jesus to be a false teacher, a false prophet. They want to make sure that people think he's dangerous so that they could sentence him to death. And so here, it's no different. Annas is wanting to entrap Jesus. So he asks him about his disciples, about his teaching. What are you out there saying, Jesus? The problem for Annas is this. Jesus' teaching had been widespread, brethren. It had been well known by those in Jerusalem and even to those who were his enemies. You remember, right? Jesus is, is teaching there in Jerusalem and the, the Pharisees and the leaders, they send these people to go and arrest him and they return without Jesus. And what do they say? No one ever spoke like this man. You see, these people knew that these people had heard the preaching of Jesus. They had heard what he said. They had heard his content. Even his enemies knew what he was saying. And brethren, he could appeal even to them to, to free his case before Annas. His teaching, brethren, had been... When we looked at his teaching, right? We looked at his preaching a number of weeks back. Brethren, his preaching had been so free from sedition, so free from blasphemy, so filled with truth and grace that he could, he could lay upon all those who heard him the case to be heard. You go ask them, what did I say? What have I said? I've said it openly. You go ask them what they've heard. Brethren, Christ knows that he was so innocent in the matter of his teaching and his conduct that he was willing to have his case decided by those who had heard his preaching. 
by those who had heard his words. And surely, brethren, none, there could be none that could come and give true testimony about what Jesus had said and say that he was seditious and stirring up rebellion in Israel. And so he responds this way, right? You go ask them. Why do you ask me? I've spoken openly. And he responds this way, brethren, and the wickedness of these leaders begins to show itself. Verse 22. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? You see, brethren, they want to rebuke him. They want to rebuke him because they think that he has spoken in some wrong way to the high priest. And yet, brethren, we know our Lord Jesus Christ, no deceit found in his mouth, no sin, no wickedness, no wrong word. And so he turns to them and he brethren, look at how he responds. If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? You see, brethren, he, he, puts, he puts the question to them. You know, just like he did, he did earlier in the Gospel of John. He says, which one of you convicts me of sin? Here he says the same thing. You strike me, and I ask you, if what I have said is wrong, bear witness about it. Speak of it. What have I said that is evil? What have I said that is wrong? But if you know that what I have said is not wrong, then why do you strike me? Why do you do what is evil? when I have not done evil to you. You see, brother, nothing could be raised against the Lord. They may not like the truth, but it is the truth nonetheless. Brother, this is only the beginning of the injustices that were about to unfold. Annas has no claim on Christ. He has nothing, he has nothing to put against Jesus, nothing to raise against him, and so he sends him to Caiaphas. Verse 24. And here's where we sort of catch up, right? With Matthew, Mark, Luke, they begin their story of the trial here with Jesus before Caiaphas. And, and Luke doesn't really cover the night portion of this. He really only kind of covers what takes place in the morning. But Matthew and, and Mark cover this in detail. And I want to read this now. So Mark 14, right? Jesus is now sent over to Caiaphas. Mark 14, we're going to start in 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and all the elders and the scribes came together. Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood.